This week's episode of Probably Science is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus, who are offering our listeners an entire month of access for free if you visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Probably Science. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. Hey, Andy. I think we're going to go straight into our guest because this is uh, what one of the first people I met in America because he was the uh, finalist and eventual winner of the season of Last Comic Standing that got me into the country. It's John Reap. Wow, that's right. Wait, I was one of the first Americans that you met? You must have been, because I, yeah, well, not one of the first Americans I've ever met, but well, certainly yeah, in America, sorry. on, yeah, but on, on this trip to, yeah, like my going to America to start being here and doing comedy right. on the regular. Yeah, because we were in, we were even in the same semifinal heat, I think. Yes. Wow. That would have been, um, let's see, 2000 and 2007. Somewhere yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's a while now. Been a minute, but we've uh, randomly crossed paths here and there. I bumped into you in Denver. Came to see me there at the Comedy Works. We had a good time. That was great. Yeah, I was back visiting. Well, we were visiting Holly's family because she's from just outside Denver. And then I, I always look up who is the comedian on at the Comedy Works and uh, both those clubs. And then yeah, I was like, oh, it's John. So yeah, we messaged. I came down, hung out, jumped on, and did a guest set on Gosh. one of your shows, and we had a drink. Dude, it was so great to watch you do stand-up again. Well, same. Um, because I was just sitting in the back of the room, laughing my head off and thinking, fuck, i got to go up there. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> It was great watching you do I don't think I, I don't remember the last time I saw you do a full, like a long set as well, right. like doing your full headline show. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. It was yeah, a good time. Man. And I missed it. Denver, I mean, uh, all of that was before the, uh, the COVID took over. And... Um, yeah, we, we didn't have a care in the world back then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, remember we, so we, good. we got a photo of ourselves hugging? Yeah, and... yeah. I'm sure we we took a, a sip out of the same glass, uh, right. same straw even probably. I don't know. Yeah, We played crazy. spit catch. You remember where you stand on opposite sides of the room and one person spits and the other person tries to catch it? <laughs> remember right. when we all used to do that? Oh, well, <laughs> we call it the money shot. That's where you just you sip up, uh, you take a straw and sip up whatever liquid that one person is drinking and you spit it right in their mouth. That's the old money shot. Yeah, those oh, that's what that is? Yeah. <laughs> um, baby burden it. Yeah, watching TV now, it's crazy because like, I'm so accustomed to the world we're in now that I just like cringe when I see people hug and shake hands on tv shows oh, God, like, yeah, it's so it's so weird we were watching something last night and there was just a party scene it was just a normal party scene there was nothing untoward about it but just sort of seeing people all crammed into the same room and hugging and dancing like dancing close to each other and making out and stuff and you're like, oh that's, that's you're like <laughs> stop it you know <laughs> i don't uh, i don't know if you're aware of this but i actually got covid what? i didn't know that Yes, yes. Um, let's see here. I, I'm going to backtrack a little for you. So I, the only gig, so since COVID broke out, let's say what, February, something like that? I mean, since it, like the lockdown sort of, or since? Yeah, yeah it, it, it was like certainly. Early March is when I think U.S. Okay, was to take it so through. let's but, say but, March. But yeah, February was when the first cases, I think, I'm trying to remember the timeline, but it, January was when I was first aware of it. And February was when we were first aware that it might be a problem in America. That's yeah. right. March was when lockdown happened. So I did. I was like, I had a trip planned to L.A. I was going to do. My manager goes, you know what? You better be. You better just hold off because it's it's starting to get real. And I go, all right, whatever. And uh, so I 
didn't cancel any gigs because I knew they would probably cancel on me. Right. So that was my philosophy is like, I'm not going to be the one who says I'm not showing up. I'll let you do that. So it's never my fault if, yeah, right. if yeah. we ever have so to the, look back in time. Yeah. And so your first one back in the book when they reopen as well, because they owe you rather than you owing them. Right. Make them reschedule. It's like a game of chicken where we're just staring at each other. You know, <laughs> so who's going to flinch first? But the only gig that did not cancel was in the great state of Florida. Okay. <laughs> and I was like looking at the calendar, like looking at my phone, like when are they going to call me and cancel? And they're probably doing the same thing. When's the reap going to cancel? Uh, and we never did. And I was one of the first guys back in the club in Tampa, Florida at Side Splitters. I was there June 11 through the 14th. Um, they did do social distancing, you know, if you want to call it that. They took tables out. Um and tried to have, you know, um, hand sanitizer everywhere right. as much as they could possibly in Florida. So <laughs> and, did you fly? You must have flown down there yeah, as well. Yeah, no, I flew down. And, um, and did, yeah, so I was there those days. I did, uh, what is that, five shows, did meet and greets, sold merchandise, oh. high-fived people. I just, Ooh. it was like it never happened. It was like no one had even heard that there was a pandemic going on. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, now I know I probably have COVID now. And so I, I came back to, to Hickory, North Carolina, where I live with my elderly mother, who is 72 years old. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get tested. And I right. got tested, and it came back negative. I'm like, oh, wow, bullet dodged. This is great. And then a couple of days goes by. Now it's like July the 2nd. And uh, I had big plans for just a couple of friends for 4th of July. And that's when it hit me. Um, bad headache, bad muscle soreness all over. I had a fever of like 100.3. And I'm thinking, well, this is probably it. Let me go get tested again. Went to an urgent care. And then it came back positive. But I didn't get those results till like seven days later. Anyway, wow. I, I, I was tested positive and then i stayed at home i quarantined i didn't do anything and then over time my mom got it my brother got it Ooh, are they okay now yeah we're all fine i mean uh, you know i guess it affects people differently right so for us we're lucky because all we really had was two or three days of bad uh fever muscle ache uh headache and fatigue um well, that, that's what's so strange about it as a disease is i i know large numbers of people who've had it now um, like a fairly hefty number of people, both in the UK and the US, uh, from comedy and from outside of comedy. And the range of responses has been so wildly varied from just yeah. from people who, you know, had had something that was like a sort of a bad cold or a bit flu like for a few days or, you know, a bad flu for a few days, but then it abated down to I've got at least one friend who still has symptoms months later. Right. You know, just the after effects, uh, like uh, lung stuff, brain stuff, just just, you know, f- trouble focusing, trouble breathing that like. Um, yeah. The one thing that definitely lingered for uh, uh, for me was the sm- sense of taste and smell. It took a little bit to, for that to come back, um, but it's eventually all back now. But I don't I feel like it's totally run its course. And I got tested again just because I wanted. So I've been tested three times. Right. And I got tested after I felt good. 
<laughs> and I thought, well, I just want to be able to go on record and tell everybody. And for when I do go back on the road again, if that ever happens, if it's ever safe, um, I could tell people, I could show them, yes, I had it, I beat it. Now I have the antibodies. I don't know how long that's going to last. Yeah, I think I did I, test positive for the antibodies. I think they last what five days to two weeks, maybe. Um, well, no, the the antibodies persist for a while, and what what they don't know right now is how much the antibodies sort of confer immunity for, like how long. Basically, can you get reinfected in two months' time, or can you not get reinfected for years, or can you not get reinfected ever? Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't know that. Right. And that's going to be a while before they know that. Now, uh, let me ask you, should I, and I don't know this, but I feel like since I have the antibodies, maybe I should go somewhere and check to see if I have, you know, should donate plasma. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I do know that they are running studies about whether that's useful and whether that is a, um, a viable treatment, and it sounds like it might be. So yeah. maybe is the answer as a, as a relatively healthy person who has, you know, you're young and. Yeah. Well, what's have, weird is my dad, um, who is in a skilled nursing facility and those like a nursing home and those places right. are, you know, that's where they die. If you get COVID and you're there, you, it, the odds are against you for the most part. Right. Yeah, yeah. And my dad, who was isolated from us, because we're not allowed to visit him. They won't even let you in the building. He also got COVID. But oh my God. He, but he didn't get it from us. Like it, it just hit my town like out of nowhere and it ran through it. And I think it's so still it, going it's on. So it's not impossible that you might, you might well have got it from the Tampa gig, but that it's not impossible that you just got right. it in Hickory. It, yeah, no, I think if I'm having to really try and focus on it and if I were trying to trace it back, I would say I got it in Hickory after the Tampa gig, um, but I'm also I don't 100 percent trust the testing procedure because when I got the first test done, it was at a pharmacy, a CVS. It was at a drive-through, and they opened up a little. It was like a, right. an old bank teller type lady who was sitting at a window with a mat. <laughs> she was behind a window and still wearing a bunch of stuff, and I was too. And she goes, "Okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some stuff." You open up these bags, there's Q-tips in there, and I want you to shove them up your nose and then put them in this test tube and then put it back in the bag and, and give it back to me. So I basically you know, gave the test to myself. Well, that, um, that's how I, I did the test, and it wasn't even um, uh, the drive-in place. Uh, like they've, they've converted Dodger Stadium into a testing site now. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. So I've gone there twice in the last three months or something to get a test just at precautionary and uh you yeah you drive in and they hand you a, you know the you sign on in online in advance and then you basically sort of wind your window down half a crack and tell this guy who's in full hazmat gear um what your booking number is mm-hmm. and then you go to the and they they put something on a post-it note and shove it on your car window and you drive up and then someone hands you a plastic bag with like with like a from a grabber arm <laughs> like the thing, like the things they used to pick up litter. Uh, yeah. They just hand you that from a booth through your car window. Um, right, you feel like like E. T. when he got sick. Right, you know? <laughs> everyone's trying to stay away from you. They're all uh, in hazmat suits and bubbles. Um, yeah, you feel like an alien. <laughs> it's a uh, 
yeah and you that, that test i had to do entirely myself but it wasn't even a nose swab it was like um it was like a mouth you do like your oh. mouth in the back of your throat and your gums and then you mm-hmm. drop it in the you you drop the little um swab in a test tube of liquid shake it up and then you put that in the bag seal it up and then you just throw it into a bin there's like this is a collection <laughs> bin that you throw it into as you're driving past like wow. like it really felt like like doing the mcdonald's drive through and they've got that bin that's like that trash can that's just at the end of the drive through for if you're yeah. really for like the people who can't even wait until they get out of the drive through to finish eating <laughs> just like shoveling in <laughs> I'm, I'm right here man i'm right here <laughs> <laughs> well it's crazy right like they must be getting t- hundreds of thousands of tests all at once uh, all day long every day and it's 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 almost impossible to be 100% accurate with these tests given the amount that's going on right now in fact i heard a guy no this is i love this uh, any story that hurts starts with i heard a guy um, <laughs> <laughs> but someone told me that um his niece did an experiment where she um got 10 tests sent to her home the the home kit that you could do and she didn't even take them she just opened up the bag and put the q-tip in the beaker and shut it and sent it back without swabbing anything and out of the 10 of those six of them tested positive for covid so i'm like what is going on i don't know if i can trust the numbers i know that i got sick for sure (laughs) Uh, well i know Um, the the antibody test has a high number of um false positives and that's um and that's just because of the proportion of the population that is compared to isn't infected yeah it's um because so many more people don't carry the antibodies it's far more likely to be in the group of there's a high likelihood that you're in the group of people who don't carry the antibodies and then have a test go wrong because that group is so big or rather there's a high likelihood that if you're in the group of people who did test positive that you are not actually uh, yeah Exactly, exactly. Because two different people have can get a positive result from an antibody test. You are mm. either someone who was infected and the test is correct, or someone who wasn't infected and the test test is wrong. And the fact <laughs> is, even though, even though the test is very, is very accurate, the group of people, there are so many more people who aren't infected compared to the number of people who are infected. Uh-huh. So that group is so big. So even that small proportion of those people who have where the test goes wrong, it's a small proportion of a much bigger group um, compared so, to so a, that little group might end up being the same size as the actual. True exact, exactly. Compared to a smaller sliver of the population were infected and then the test is correct, which is most tests. When you so it's like 99 percent of the tests are correct about us, about one percent of the population. And then one percent of the tests are incorrect. About ninety-nine percent of the population, <laughs> and they end up being the same. They end up being the same size group. Like I, I'm pulling those numbers out of thin air. There's yeah. the actual numbers are different to that. But that that's why you can get a really large number of false positives, or rather, it's, it's kind of it's confusing for people because there's so many different ways to get tested, and you're not even sure which one. Like when you got tested, you just did a swab in your throat, right, in your mouth. You didn't even go up your nose. Did yeah, you? and that, and and, they, and that's also testing a different thing. That's testing for the antigens, I think it is. That's the PCR test, where that that can only tell you if you are currently infected. It doesn't tell you if you were infected. Right. That's what I had. I had the swab up the nose, right, and then I had 
when I went back for my second test, they actually did the longer swab, the one that looks like, I don't know, something you would clean. A, it's like a, a gigantic uh, pipe cleaner. You know, the ones that go through your nose and tickle the back of your brain. Yeah. Um, I got that test and I got tested for strep throat just because I was there. Right. But the only the only thing that I the only time I did a blood test was the third time, and that's when they took my blood. And from the blood test, they told me that I had the antibodies. I'm assuming that's from the blood test. I, uh, that makes sense. crazy. So, John, yeah. aside from COVID, what what is it? What is, we'd like to ask our guests, like, what is your background in science? And that's ranged from like lessons you liked or hated as a kid to stuff you used to blow up in the woods with your friends. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't have any sort of uh, education really in science. I was a uh, Bachelor of Arts major. I did theater <laughs> and uh, communication, but I was always fascinated with astronomy, the universe, science. Um, but when you start doing math, that's where I kind of, I kind of, you kind of lose me. I just sort of like the <laughs> yeah. fantasy part of it, you know. Like I love science fiction. I love think. I love sitting out under the stars and looking up into the great big sky and thinking, oh my God, there's there's got to be another one of me or something like that up there, you know, in the world. Um, yeah. So, but I know, uh, that's really it. Like I love science fiction. I, I, lo I, I will fall, I fall asleep with the Science Channel on sometimes. So just sort of absorbing biosmosis. Osmosis, and I have the best dreams. Like I, I dream that I'm like you know an astronaut or or you know that I'm uh, Luke Skywalker and I'm saving the universe or something. But I I love that kind of stuff. Um, I just when it starts when you start boiling it down to the actual mathematics of it, then I start a days off and I, I fantasize again. That's the tricky thing about most of these sciences that that seem intriguing at the outset, like astronomy. I'm. We've had astronomers on. I forgot if I asked this question, but you know, I, I, I doubt a very high percentage of their work life is spent actually looking at you know beautiful imagery of the cosmos, and a lot more is spent on the sort of stuff that might turn somebody off if they're not very number savvy. Right. It's it's amazing what they do on. I guess it's the Sci-Fi Network or Science Channel. Anytime you're watching, you know, like uh, some just to say the show is about uh, the Big Bang and how that how that started and all that stuff. They're 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 creating these images on a computer for us, but oh, really right. the scientist is like he's looking at ones and zeros and numbers and that kind right. of stuff. Yeah. If that's what I had to look at, I would be out. So <laughs> right. I, I like what the uh, the people come up with on their laptops. I guess more so. Than... I mean, they they do some of that as well. But you're right. There's yeah. also sort of lots of charts and graphs and things that are graphical representations of what's going on but maybe less accessible and it's yeah. not like a yeah you know, a 3d animation of you flying a little spaceship through this thing yeah did um, you see any of the uh neowise comet by the way john the which one the comet that passed by us last uh within the last month or so i don't know if there no was a i missed that one but um i i heard about it and i know that it seems to me too like i remember as a kid um Halley's Comet. I think I was maybe in the f sixth grade when Halley's yeah, Comet came out. Yeah, it was like 86, 87 or something? Yeah. yeah. And I remember them saying, like, this will never happen again in your lifetime. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's so They were being kind of pessimistic about your lifespan at that point. Oh, that's you? true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think so it, it, that it I would last die passed by in 1986. Well, you know, I, I'm exaggerating when I say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but you know, yeah, it's, be it's, it's beyond man. the average. It's beyond yeah. the average. It, it is. Then. It's yeah. you know, I, I, we've got a, We've all got a chance of being there for when it comes back around. It'll next be around in 2061. 
Okay. So that's that's doable. That's attainable. But I remember when they said that, me thinking, wow, this is a historic event. I better, you know, observe this, be a part of it. And then I feel like within the last, I don't know, 20 years, there's something that has never happened before every weekend. <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, wait a minute, I thought this was very rare, and now it's happening every I, other I'm weekend. I'm definitely a done new comet, with supermoons. A, a new a meteor shower, a new blood moon, something that's always brand new and has never happened before. <laughs> right, yeah. It's almost like baseball stats when it's like you get those nerds that find, if you find the most specific set of things, and you can say, yes, I guess this is the first time that a shortstop who, uh, who you know, didn't <laughs> who's, go to bat name the third inning. Who, yeah. <laughs> whose name contains all of the vowels in order. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but I am fascinated by that stuff. I'm actually, um, this weekend, I will be going on a camping trip with some of my old high school buddies. And uh, we will do a lot of stargazing. So I'm hoping, uh, uh, I don't know, is anything happening this weekend? I th we're close to the... Is it the Perseids coming up soon? There's a meteor shower heading our way in the next month or so. Okay. Um, let me see if uh, what, that's the Perseids or... Do you know off the top of your head, Matt? Um, I know, but I've just found earthsky.org that says Perseid Meteors 2020, all you need to know. Oh, They do great. happen every year. Oh, good. So maybe I could catch a little bit of it this weekend. It should peak August 11th, 12th, and 13th. If the weather permits. I know there was, uh, I guess... Yeah. The, uh, that should be August 11th, 12th, and 13th. That should be, oh, does that, yeah. that, right when you're out there. Let's see here. Let's, let's, oh God, my calendar. Yes. That will, August, I, I, no, I will be, uh, yes, I'll still be able to see it because I'll be in two separate, now that I can't do stand up anymore, uh, Matt, I, uh, yeah. I've, I've been planning a lot of random events here and there with different friends. I got, you know, small groups of friends for separate trips. <laughs> right, so the camping trip is this weekend with old high school buddies. Then the next weekend will be I'm going to the to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, with just my girlfriend. So, That's but great. I'll still be able to see at, at night. Uh, we'll be yeah, well, the beach. you'll be so much further away from the light pollution that we have here. Um, oh yeah, true. Apparently, just after midnight is when you want to. After midnight, but before moonrise is when it peaks. Sweet. Um. Yeah, and uh, it'll start to fly in mid to late evening from northerly latitudes, and yeah, you sh you should uh, you should be able to see a fair amount if you're looking up around there. It should be around around forty to fifty meteors per hour, which is oh, wow. yeah, that's a good number. So yeah, yeah well, almost once a minute. Yeah. Oh, so, perfect. Well, this past weekend, um, uh, it seemed to me that we had a. Uh, uh, that's like a blood moon happening a lot or some sort of full like the moon's the brightest or the closest to earth it's ever been and uh i just looked up at it list this weekend and it looked gigantic to me I and mean, i'm sure i don't know if that's if that anything happened this past weekend with that um but let me a, a generic science question do you guys is this is the moon getting closer to the earth or is it actually going getting farther away from the earth because i've heard different things um, over, I, like watching different science programs, <laughs> like it's like it's gonna fling off and we'll never see it again. Or oh, it's you mean like in the long the term? Um, yeah, long term. Uh, oh, maybe there's different. Okay, so I'm trying to remember now. what the answer is to that because because we are at various times closer and further away from the moon. The orbit, the orbit of the moon around the Earth is not circuit is not perfectly circular. Right. Um, it is getting away from 
yeah, it's getting away from Earth. It is moving gradually away from Earth, but it'll take billions of years to affect the planet. So okay. we will probably not be around to see that. Right. So Unless we all get uploaded can, to the computer. Like if you look up, you know, even in the course of like 10 years, you can't say, well, I remember 10 years ago, it used to be a lot bigger. Yeah. It's, so you, you'll, you won't be able to notice any difference whatsoever in my lifetime. No, well, you just, won't. But within its orbit, it's not like a perfectly circular ob- orbit, which is why there are sometimes supermoons, like it, even within yeah. this. So, so from that point of view, we do see the moon being larger and smaller in the sky because sometimes it is, cl- it is closer to Earth at other t- than it is at other times. Right. But, Were you uh, in L.A. when the, um, the uh, solar eclipse happened? I was in New York. Oh. Yeah. I was in... Uh, yeah, do you meet the one sort of a few years ago, maybe? 2017? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was I was in New York, and friend of the show, Jan Levin, was running an event. She's an astrophysicist who's been on the show before, and she has this sort of arts and science space that she is like the science consultant to in Brooklyn, and she was running a sort of viewing party there, and she was the sort of astrophysicist on duty, cosmologist mm-hmm. on hand. So yeah, that was that was cool. So I went down there and they had all the gear and they had they had a telescope set up with the the yeah. correct I I can't remember whether you could even look at it directly and, and it had like the safe filter or whether it was like projecting. I think it was like the telescope projected onto a screen. Yeah. Yeah, it was creepy. It was weird. I mean, I remember being out uh, cuz <laughs> you would think I would uh uh, be in the know on this one, but I guess it sort of slipped past me while I woke up that day to just run an errand and I went outside <laughs> and it was a different kind of light that I noticed. You know how there's like at dawn, there's a different light than there is at noon, obviously, but then at yep. dusk, the sky can be red. And But like, I'm talking just the light all around. It seemed to have a different tint to it and, I, and I, it was it was just weird. Uh, yeah, that's. That was, yeah. I I remember it. it was pretty cool. It was. Um, yeah, we. I, you can you can see how civilizations that were not aware of what was going on would be terrified by this concept, <laughs> yeah, right? And how powerful you would be if you were a person who spent every night tracking the skies and finally figured out when this was going to happen. And oh, if you yeah. told people it's going to happen tonight, then it happened. Like now you're the ruler of that, uh, whatever that right. is. Yeah. You know, there were some areas of Brooklyn that I had covered. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many old school TV shows that used that as a thing. Like, uh, you know, they're going to, if they don't get, uh, they, they were kidnapped by some, uh, yeah. Crazy tribe. And I shall they... command the moon to be eaten <laughs> right. by the gods. <laughs> right. And unless you release us on this day. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, old school. Speaking but, of strange uh, occurrences, I'm 50 miles east of the Apple Fire, and the day that that was really kicking in on Saturday was weirder than any eclipse, uh, we, the weirdest skies I've ever seen in my life. Like the the sun was blotted out completely by smoke, and when it did sometimes appear, it was bright red. It just looked like an apocalyptic. Wow. It was like Mad Max looking. It was insane. Yeah, I lived right there in Studio City. Um, I never really had too many um, experiences with fire, except for like the 405 when you, but like in Studio City, I'm pretty protected, but there was one fire that came kind of close and it was, you could see like little white ashes randomly coming yeah, down. Yeah, I remember one of the big ones. It. There's like the oh. haze over the entire city and just the, 
Yeah. The light yeah. has got an orange feel to it because it's all being filtered through this ash. Yeah, John, I live out in Joshua Tree, actually. And yeah, my, my yard was covered in ash from this fire happening oh my 50 God. miles west of here because the prevailing winds are heading this way. Like the, the, the smoke from this fire got all the way to Utah. If you look at these satellite images, it's crazy. I That's feel like nuts. California is constantly on fire. Constantly like it, burning. It's never not been on fire in the last 10 years. California like. and Australia, uh, right. where we have Australia. a large number of listeners. Uh, the one thing we that Australia has over us in terms of terrifying things is spiders. <laughs> and right. listener Justin Broad sent us in this story. We have spiders, but we don't have spiders like Australia has spiders. And there's be you know, you might want to identify a spider. It turns out... There is now a Shazam for spiders, according to this CNET article, okay. written by someone who has moved to Australia and was wanted to know what a spider was. Why hasn't someone invented this? Someone has. It's called Critopedia, a smartphone app that allows uh, me, according to the writer of this article, to just take a photo of a spider or a snake or any animal I'm worried could potentially murder me and have it identified. Wow. Critopedia is a collaboration between creators Nick and Murray Scare and Australia's National Science Agency, CSIRO. It is a machine learning engine designed to automatically identify different species of spider and snakes. An AI-powered algorithm like Critopedia requires hundreds of thousands of images to become accurate in its assessment. So CSIRO and Data61 are hoping to get as many people as possible to download Critopedia and upload pictures of spiders and snakes they might see in the wild. Why does Australia always do this? (laughs) Every time we have a spider or snake story in Australia that involves science, it always has this one bit that involves members of the public having to put dangerous <laughs> things in jars. <laughs> Just kept way too close to these things. Yeah, I like the title, Criticpedia. It sounds like some someone who uh, has a sexual fetish for underage <laughs> spiders. <Yeah. laughs> Just only likes the X-Hacks. <laughs> <Like, what's that? laughs> yes. I'm sure that exists. Um, oh, that's, if, you, if you could think yeah. of it, it exists. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, so, I'm not. Uh, uh, that's. I'm going camping, and the one thing I don't like is spiders and snakes. Um, I'm not sure which one I hate the most. Uh, not hate, but are you know a fear the most? But I know Australia has the most poisonous of anything. Yeah, um, pretty much. It, pretty it's, much. It's got all of them, and particularly when we when we did a little tour of Australia at the beginning of last year, and we started off up in Queensland in Cairns, and that's where. You know, that's where the worst of them are. That's their Florida. And it's just, <laughs> it's everything that is weird and possibly fatal lives up there. That's, you're sort of on the edge of the rainforesty areas. And yeah, yeah we were, uh, Michael Jealous. Smout, who helped organize the tour and was one of our guest scientists on the first episode. Uh, he was showing us around his college campus and he was like, yeah, there was just, do you remember which snake it was that the, one of the groundskeepers just found or the janitor just found hanging off that bit of railing that we walked past. It no. was like, like it was like a Taipan or something like that. Is Taipan? Oh, that sounds Austra- right. That sounds like a thing. I think yeah. a Taipan is an Australian snake. It's um, also uh, a good uh, Asian dish. Right. It's delicious. It's a duck sauce. Yeah, it's yeah. delicious. Yeah, and a novel <laughs> by James right. Clavell. Um Is it wait, I'm so I'm jealous because I... I've never been to Australia and I, I really want to go. It's worth going. You just got to stay away from the spiders. Um, yeah. Actually, Matt, we could have, I could have used Critterpedia, or our listeners could have used Critterpedia who follow me on Instagram because I've been posting all the critters that I find out in Joshua Tree. 
uh, on Instagram, much to the chagrin of a lot of my followers who don't like seeing black widows, <laughs> but I got a lot of black widows. They love, I don't know how, I was talking to Steve Agee, who's also spending his quarantine in the desert, and like, Black Widows and Desert Garages, it's like, are they just in the dirt and waiting for houses to be built and then they come, like I just don't get where they are when there aren't houses to be in garages of because I don't think they have a habitat that isn't that. But yeah, multiple of those and I was posting videos on Instagram and some of our Aussie listeners were saying, oh, it's a redback and I'd never heard of a redback. I'm like, no, what are you talking, it's got red on its belly, it's the hourglass on its belly. And I looked it up, and the Australian black widow has the red mark on its back instead of on its underside. God, oh. they do everything upside down, That's right? Yeah. Right. I bet their spider webs are like somehow reversed. Kind of clockwise, or, yeah. Uh, Actually, the black widows, you can also tell. I, I Googled, I wanted to make sure before I saw that red thing that it was. Um, they also have crazy chaotic webs. They don't have like pretty, you know, oh, really? repeating patterns in their webs. They're just like a mess. So the black widows just suck. Just have shitty webs. <laughs> so that's crazy. So which which is more, um, I guess, ven- venomous or poisonous? The, uh, I think the I've Austra- always heard brown recluse. Uh, in terms, I, I know, I, I, I was a confusing question, like uh, American black widow or versus Australian black widow. But in general, I've heard like uh, the brown recluse is the is the worst one. Um, let's I have see. No idea. I'm looking, just did a quick Google on this. The Brazilian wandering spider. I've never heard of that. Oh, you can't find that guy. Uh, yeah. Let's see if this is actually in order or just a listicle of some cool poisonous bugs. Outdoorlife.com. Um, uh, by the way, I, while I was looking it up, the coastal taipan is the one that is, because there's also the inland taipan. The coastal taipan is the one that is most likely to be in Queensland, and I think that's the one that Mick was telling us was risk or was moved on by a janitor that's something you have to do if you're a janitor <laughs> yeah. or groundskeeper in, an, in a queensland northern queensland uh university you just have to sometimes move a very venomous snake with a stick yeah he was just cleaning up um that's so funny the first job i ever had was uh, uh mowing the grass at a golf course i was like i don't know 13 or 14 i could ride my bike there long story short the groundskeeper right uh, was trying to teach me how to uh, mow the grass with these giant fairway mowers under trees that have limbs that kind of hang down. So anyway, he's trying to get close to the tree. The limb is kind of hanging down, and I can't hear him. He's trying to talk to me over this stupid lawnmower. And he pulls out from under the tree, and he goes, See, it's that simple. And there was a giant black snake just sitting on his shoulder and he, he wasn't aware of it and, uh, and, I, and i feel like that's something that janitors and grounds people do they just like attract snakes <laughs> like, so I mean, that, that feels like a scene from a film where he's like it's that right. simple it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you're that's trying awesome. to like he's just talking and you're just trying to mime like there's a snake on your shoulder but not in a way that would alert it and he's still just talking and talking and you just do this and like waving his arms and you're just trying to right yeah i think when he yeah when he finally discovered the snake he got you know he just sort of threw it off of his shoulder and it kept going like nothing happened like it was no big deal um but yeah, not a fan of snakes. Uh, I'd, I'd take a snake over a spider, but I'm biased because I used to have pet snakes growing up. But Ah, there you go. Yeah, and I, I guess can't f- I would go spider over... I don't know, spiders, because they have the 
the the legs that and they're very fast and they can hide under stuff. A snake, oh. I feel like, at least I can visually keep an eye on where it's at. You know, that's it can't a good point. Really, unless it's a tiny snake, but. Yeah, the first Blackwood I found in the garage was like he'd built a web just outside of the water heater. And then as soon as I turned the light on, he scurried back into the part of the water heater that you would have to reach your hand in to light the pilot light. I'm like, oh, this can't, this can't, this is not a tenable situation. (laughs) I can't just have a house in there. Uh, But anyway, um, thanks for the story, Justin. And yeah, you can, you can sign up now. Anyone in Australia can sign up and start helping to give the AI the training pictures, if you so choose. Well, we are talking about, uh, ver- there's another good animal story that was sent in by, I know it was sent in uh, by uh, Michael Valbuena. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, but I just put this in the show notes. Eaten water beetles stay alive by escaping through the predator's anus. I, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know why you'd think we would want to cover this story on our comedy science show, but for some reason... <laughs> What kind of water beetle did you say? Eaten. Like, water beetles that have been eaten, swallowed. Oh, I see. In the process of being killed by a predator, by a frog specifically, they, uh, oh, good God, the CNN, he didn't send in the CNN version of the story. I found this one, but, uh, (laughs) oh, my. They've not been fully digested because if that's the case, we all escape eventually through someone's (laughs) anger. That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Smeal, yeah. So the aquatic beetle uh, Regimbartia attenuata is its Latin name can survive a journey through a dark spotted frog's gut and exit alive through its feces, according to a study published uh, last Monday in the journal Current Biology. The pressure of being hunted is typically what leads to the evolution of of different escape behaviors in prey animals. Surviving the extreme conditions of an animal's digestive system is a wild card that depends on the prey's animal's ability to move quickly through to the, please CNN, they put ahem, <laughs> escape hatch. There was another pun at the top there. There was a Bee Gees pun that I spared you, but it was around the phrase staying alive. Yep. Oh, yes. Such a deadly environment could impose speedy and active escape behaviors on swallow prey species. So Shinji Sujira, uh, who is the author of the study, tested this hypothesis with aquatic beetles and dark spotted frogs. After the frogs swallowed the beetles, 90% of the insects were excreted within six hours of being eaten and surprisingly were still alive, said Segura. Apologies for butchering your name there. An associate professor in the Department of Agrobioscience at Kobe University in Japan. In a second experiment, beetles whose legs were fixed together with wax were all killed and inside the frog's digestive system for more than a day, indicating that the first beetles might have used their legs to actively and quickly escape headfirst from the frogs rather than being passively released through the frog's waist. So rather than, um, uh, yeah, rather than sort of just waiting for nature to take its course, they are scurrying through the digestive system. How did they think to wax up their legs? And t- <laughs> They're like, we that? need to basically, that's how you cripple a, a beetle for a study. You can't tie their legs together because it's too tiny, so you have to put a little droplet See? of wax. Females so they- figured it out. We, they've been waxing for years. We need to start <laughs> yeah. just in case a gigantic <laughs> frog uh, comes down and tries to suck us up. That's interesting. <laughs> I wonder if um, I just hate beetle- how the female beetles are always uh, held to impossible beauty <laughs> yeah, standards for really- the male. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say there, John? Oh, no. It's just I wonder if that beetle, that specific beetle, 
is best friends with the dung beetle that specifically looks for um, certain types of feces and rolls it up in a ball and, and <laughs> like, rides down the hill. Dung beetles rolling it up and they just suddenly finds one of these beetles just popping out from inside it. Still, like, hey, I thought you were. I was, but I got out. <laughs> yeah, there, there's got to be some sort of uh, a beetle tender where they can meet up. <laughs> oh, the critter. Cr yeah, the critter uh, thing that you were talking about. Maybe that's what it is. It could be an offshoot of that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so most prior studies have analyzed how prey animals escape before contact. This study is the first to document active prey escape from the vent of a predator and to show that prey may promote predator defecation to hasten escape from inside the predator's body. Man. Yeah, I guess if something's, if something's kicking you from inside, you're probably going to poo it out faster, even if you're not trying to. Right. Yeah. I yeah. imagine, like, I'm just actually trying to put myself in this beetle's shoes. <laughs> if I were seriously sucked up by some gigantic thing without teeth, so you're not getting, you know, you're not getting chewed. Yeah, swallowed you're whole. You're just being picked up in your inside of a fleshy thing. I, yeah, I guess you just start swimming and kicking. Right. <laughs> I think you just light a fire like Jonah from the Bible, right? Well, that's, right. that's science fact. It just, well, um, it, yeah, that's a, that's some real science there. Um, it it. So the adaptation, according to Martin Fiecek, who is a entomologist who is not associated with the study, said it, it's a type of adaptation called exaptation, which is a, an evolution for another reason that then becomes useful for this reason. So this physical adaptation, including a compact drop-shaped body and the ability to curl down their heads, which might have helped them survive, was probably originally adapted, evolved to improve the s swimming skills and protecting the beetles from predators, and then at the same time turns out to help them swim their way through the guts of a frog. Mm. Wow. That's you also so gotta awesome. wonder how they, like, if there's some innate sense of direction when they're in the darkness of a frog's gut, like how do yeah. you know if you're swimming? Yeah, which way you, you could end up just going the wrong way out. Yeah. It's So also frogs don't have teeth. They, According to this article, they rarely kill their prey before swallowing them. So their digestive systems are crucial in killing and deriving any nutritional benefits from their victims. The dark-spotted frog's digestive system is a long tube-like structure that consists of an esophagus, stomach, small intestine, and large intestine. That seems pretty human-like as well. It starts at the mouth and ends at the vent, brackets, anus, just like a human. Since killed water beetles with their legs fixed took more than a day to exit the frog, and the surviving water beetles took a successful minimum of six minutes, Segura concluded that the latter's exit must have been an active escape rather than dependent on the frog's waist. Like, they were charging their way through this thing. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think, too. Like, if I... I guess they just know, because that was a good question, which way's up, which way's down, yeah. which way's in, which way's out, if you're the beetle. Because you're probably thinking, well, I don't want to go out the way I came in because that was pretty violent. Like, <laughs> this this big pink tongue came out of nowhere and just sick sucked me up into this gigantic mouth. I'm not going nowhere near that entrance. How about this other one down here? <laughs> yeah, and like at a certain know? point, at a certain point, is survival worth it? Like this is uh, like your worst day, definitely. Hey, Andy. Yes, Matt. That beetle sure was resourceful. Yeah, he was able to escape the digestive tract of that frog deftly. Yeah, you you know who else was resourceful and escaped things specifically Earth's gravity uh, for quite some distance. Who's that? Uh, uh, the the 
the astronauts upon the uh, i'm just gonna say hey i've been learning about the <laughs> apollo mission recently um we actually i could have we were even talking about the moon earlier i could have linked it to that that would have been a much smarter link rather than just trying to do some tenuous oh, beetle connection yeah we did talk about the moon yeah but we we have been as you know we are sponsored quite frequently by we love them the great courses plus a collection of lectures and lessons taught by top professionals top college level experts in their field who've chosen both their expertise and their ability to communicate clearly and impressively and we love them your one subscription gives you access to any of the courses and i i've been listening to and watching because you can jump between them apollo 11 lessons for all time this is a shorter course normally there there are quite a lot of lectures in the courses where they really go deep this is more of a sort of overview just picking and choosing little assortments a little buffet of apollo 11 moon landing related bits of expertise and knowledge there's uh, a co there's a lecture on the moon rock revelations what we learn from them and then one on viewing the apollo landing sites from earth and then one about the early solar system and what we can learn about it from the moon and then the geopolitics of space yeah, I, I love that. I love to think about uh, people claiming things for the, for their own that aren't even on this planet. Well, there's an American flag on it now, so it's yeah. done. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's what it took. Yeah, there's so many courses to pick from, though. This is a great one if you want to just jump around. It's four different 20-minute lectures with four different lecturers, but um, other courses we've talked about have you know, 20 or, or 30 lectures per series, um, and you can find just about anything. We talked about the fact that we have they have uh, music instruction, you can learn history, you can learn cooking languages. Yep, and you, can jump, depths, you can jump between watching it on the on your TV or on the app on your phone. You can listen to it as a podcast. You can jump between them. It's flexible. It's incredibly detailed and, and broad at the same time. Yeah, right. we, we've almost never found a subject that we haven't been able to find something connected to it on The Great Courses Plus. They have really done an incredibly good job of finding experts all over the place. If there's something you want to know about and you've got some free time, Visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. You'll get a free month of access to everything. So you can spend the next 30 days boning up on anything from Roman history to French cuisine to um, what else did I learn about? Well, you did the beer course, didn't beer, I know the you? The beer you, one was great. Yeah. <laughs> you all about beer. I just saw they've dropped a new one on how to sing, which... Oh, interesting. I might do that. I... Yeah, you're out in Joshua Tree. You don't have near neighbors that you would infuriate oh, with your singing learning. I keep I keep acquiring more and more things that make noise out here. It's uh, <laughs> I would not want to be my neighbor. But um, yeah, why not learn to sing during quarantine? So once again, that is thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. I, I didn't want to make the show so genital heavy, but there is another story I couldn't resist that was sent in by... Long-time listener, apparently, and new uh, recent Patreon patron. Thank you very much, Anthony uh, Pelinacci. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. But man who lost penis to blood infection has a new one built on his arm. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Well, sometimes you can't not do those stories. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've There's seen a... this movie. It was called Edward Penis Hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I this used to story, have a copy of it, yeah. I'm slightly wary of this story because it is reported in the New York Post and the New York Post is quoting The Sun, the English newspaper, and uh. I use that term fairly loosely. And the picture looks very suspicious because the picture has him leaning up against a building like a sort of... Um, Again, like a sort of prof like a dating app profile picture because someone <laughs> has told him to pose with his legs slightly bent, his elbow 
resting on his knee and his hand, his chin resting on his fist, like a sort of uh, <laughs> a, a look pen, looking pensive. And then blurred yeah. out on his left forearm is the shape of a, a pixelated penis. Presumably. Right. Presumably. That... Something that could be a penis that is pixelated. But I'm, it is. I'm doing a Google image search to find the unpixelated. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know why. This is not something I'd. Please it's not find working. that. Uh, uh, that's uh, so. Uh, I'm so many questions. I mean, what? So a blood virus took his penis away. I need to know more about this blood virus. Yeah, I need to stay away from that one. Definitely. Yeah, and then uh, secondly, if you're going to bring back the penis, why would you put it on the arm? Is it easier accessible that way? I think it uh, was re to regrown. Hand? It was regrown skin from the arm. Correct? Oh, I from, see. I know what you're talking about. So yeah. Let's I've see. seen that happen where they, they uh, sort of regrow an ear on someone's forehead and then later cut it off and put it on the yeah. ear area. Let's... Yeah, I, I've seen that with uh, a guy got frostbit and he lost his nose Oof. and they regrew sort of a nose on his forehead and then cut that out and, and then bent it down to cover his nose, which uh, was frostbitten. Yeah. So it's probably, if it's true, it's something like that, right? So you well, say quotes, formed... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, when I was going to say, it, it quotes a... The, the doctor it mentions who conducted the operation, Professor David Ralph at uh, University College Hospital in London. That That's a real person. He's a highly regarded <laughs> urologist. As far as you know. So if this story is true... Uh-huh. It's true. I, I mean, if you just search his name, you'll find it in lots of different... It's just that every link that comes up is a newspaper I don't trust. <laughs> it's right. like, or a new source. Like, the next one is a local Fox affiliate. It's just, which also is owned by the same Rupert Murdoch, who also owns The Sun, and I think owns The Post, even. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's hard to trust those. Um, yeah, do you think they took extra skin from his arm? So it he'd says, be like, you know, yeah, of course, I've always been this big. Since surgeons formed a new manhood with its own blood vessels and nerves using a skin flap on the left arm of this right-handed man, they created a urethra and installed two tubes inflated with a hand pump, allowing him to achieve an erection. The shaft was then removed from his forearm, leaving the base, allowing it to form naturally as skin and tissue. He's now waiting for it to be finally transferred to its proper location. Ugh. <laughs> Did you find a picture of that? I didn't real? find any uncensored pictures. I don't know why I, I even tried, but um, <laughs> well, as soon as I get off this phone call, yeah, time, go for it. <laughs> we'll make you a picture. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like I mean, I, I'm trying to think too. Like, can you? Because everyone's, you know, every every guy talks about. I want a bigger penis. Is there a way that you could just make one? Like I don't why why wait for a blood virus to take away my penis? So so this is this is the other reason why I was suspicious of this story is the story says that he uh, McDonald that's the name of the patient also decided to request an extra two inches on the sixty five thousand dollar <laughs> appendage. There it is. I mean, why why wouldn't you? Yeah, right. That's right. It's like I, you know what? Just take my whole arm off. I don't need this thing. I mean, I get that it'll, this will be this will be a thing that can be made erect with this thing they're inserting and the inserting. Why do I pronounce it like that? Um, and that he can pee through it. But like, can they actually get nerves connected in such a way that it would be enjoyable? Yeah, I mean, maybe they can. That's that would be that would amaze yeah, me if that's possible. That's the better question. Is like, sure, we can put a penis on you, 
I can call but this you're not going to enjoy anything. It's just going to be for peeing. Right. Or, I mean, Which it can get erect, turn... so you could have sex, but, like, if you can't feel that sex, it's... Uh, yeah, like, then, it's... yeah, then it just turns into a chore. Yeah. <laughs> and then why like... would you ruin a perfectly good arm? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, if that's the case. Mm. But maybe they figure that out. I don't know. I mean, I do know you can... I guess, like, I've been fascinated with that. With If you can reconnect some nerves, why is there, why has there never been any surgical solution to spinal injury, you know? Mm -hmm. But... I think I think some maybe just like if you only have it, isn't it just the numbers. number of the number maybe of it's nerves? Just the number, yeah. Maybe wow. so. Well, congrats, um, Malcolm. Not, not Malcolm. What's his first name? Yeah, Malcolm McDonald. Wait, is that the name of an actor? Well, there's Malcolm McDowell. McDowell. Okay, I was like that couldn't be the same. Yeah, he was uh, in the middle. Correct. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I prefer Malcolm on the extremes, but okay, that's pretty good too. <laughs> Should we, uh, I, we, we've got like a few minutes left to squeeze out one extra story, and this is quite nice about, it's been all quite bio-heavy this episode, but I, I think that's no bad thing. And this, we, this listener has, we, we've ha been, we've been corrected on the pronunciation before, and I'm going to get it wrong again. Is it Kaja? Kaya? K-A-I-J-A. But this is, um, I, I do like these stories. This is, a treatment, a new treatment for antibiotic-resistant bacteria that has come from an incredibly old source. Uh, I, I, I like it for that reason. This is a salve that was found in medieval writing uh, that may treat... So bacteria can live in two ways, according to this article uh, in Science Daily, as individual plank planktonic cells or as a multicellular biofilm. Biofilm helps protect bacteria from antibiotics, making it much harder to treat. Ones such as biofilm that is particularly hard to treat are those that infect diabetic foot ulcers. Researchers at the University of Warwick have looked at natural remedies for the gap in the antibiotic market, and they found this treatment that was published in um, some it, Bald's Eye Salve Remedy, a 10,000-year-old medieval remedy containing onion, garlic, wine, and bile salts. <coughs> hmm. And it's shown to have promising antibacterial activity. The team also showed that the mixture caused low levels of damage to human cells. And it's... Wow. It so that would be better than injecting Lysol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. And we, we, you know, we, I mean, that's relatively harmless. It's pretty safe. Right. We all do that. But... I just did it this morning, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I... I, I Go through your old medieval texts and look up your remedies because maybe some of them have something in it. That's Bald's Eye Self Remedy if you mm. have any kind of antibacterial foot ulcer infection, maybe caused by diabetes. And it, it can also cure various bacteria associated with things like um, infected wounds in combat troops, respiratory infections. This is bacterial infections, though. Uh, Staphylococcus aureus, which is a common cause of skin infections, including abscesses. Staphylococcus epidermis, which is a, a common, common cause of infections involving indwelling foreign devices such as a catheter or surgical wound infections. And then pyogens, which is uh, things like pharyngitis, tonsillitis, and scarlet fever. That's all biofilm and possibly cured by Bald's Eye Salve. Bald's Eye Salve. This Ask your brought to you by Bald's Eye Salve. <laughs> Bald's Eye Bald, B-A-L-D, apostrophe uh -huh. S, Eye Salve. As in the salve of an eye. Oh. 
Um, how, how long until scientists realized that humors were also correct? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. completely... <laughs> they do so, still use leeches. Leeches are in use. Oh yeah, that's all right. For things like transplants, for get, getting the blood to flow back. Maybe our friend's arm penis had some had the odd leech put on it just to get the blood going again. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, John, we've yes. got to wrap this up. Where can our listeners find out about you? I know you've got a new podcast going as well, right? I do. Um, yes, I'm very proud of it. It's what I've been working on uh, ever since the pandemic. Can't go anywhere. Uh, I've been working on this podcast. It's called Country-ish, but which pretty much d defines me. You know, I, I know I sound like a redneck and I look like one, I, and I'm pretty sure I smell like it most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've been fascinated with all things science and, and other things as well. So this is a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of country, a little bit not um, country-ish. But it's great. Uh, we we were just ranked number two according to the World Podcast Federation. Oh. And that is a website that I made up. <laughs> <laughs> But we, it is a real website. And in fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you guys on there because when it, anytime you, you join a list, it seems like people start talking about lists. So me and my buddy John Heffron just made up this <laughs> World Podcasting Ranking Association and the World Podcasting Federation. And, you know, I'm, I'm not number one. I'm not that crazy. No, I, yeah, let's yeah. not get reckless here. Right. So I'll add you guys to it. But check out, um, if your listeners think I'm funny at all, they will love country-ish podcast do it we will link to that in the show notes and all the stories we cover as always you can find us at probablyscience.com that's where all of our links are including our patreon and paypal links probablyscience at gmail.com is the email address for any questions comments clarifications stories you'd like us to cover you can find us on twitter john you're at john reap right yes yes j-o-n-r-e-e-p cool and we are at probably science individually at andy t wood and at matt Kirshen. Facebook slash Property Science as well, if you want to contact us through that. John, it's been so good catching up with you. Thank you so much for joining us. I, it's my honor, and uh, I want to get you on my podcast I would eventually. love to. So I would love to. let's make that happen, buddy. Stay in touch. For sure. And Thanks listeners, again, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.